Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, traders, wherever you may be on planet Earth. We are coming at you with the 65th episode of the Performante podcast. My name is Nathan. I've got Keith with me. We are going to be breaking down proof of stake protocol, what it is, how to leverage it, who are the big competitors in the industry, and who are our crowd favorites. This is a jam-packed episode, a lot of value, so I hope you will enjoy And just to uh, jump right into it, we are going to start with a definition of what is proof of stake. Proof of stake is a protocol similar to Bitcoin's proof of work. What sets proof of stake apart is instead of having to dedicate computational energy like mining BTC, you need processing power to uh, to generate the network. With proof of stake, it is based on capital. So for example, Ethereum, which we're going to talk about next, you have to have a certain number of ETH for your stake. It's guaranteed in a different way, which has a lot of advantages when we're talking about it from the eco perspective, as well as the strength of the network. And so to finish off the definition, I'll pass it on over to Keith. Awesome. So to jump right into Ethereum here, uh, in short, Ethereum was initially a proof of work, uh, has now transitioned into a proof of stake and to kind of backbone our uh, backtrack into the um, 32 ETH needed to actually host a node. Um, As of right now, if you do want to host a node yourself for Ethereum on the network, it's around like a little bit over a hundred grand. And this has recently come into play where individuals are able to actually stake Ethereum with the um, ETH.2 launch as well as the EIP uh, 1559. And this whole transition into ETH 2.0 is really coming from the proof of work into the proof of stake. Um, Like Nathan said, there is uh, quite a bit of a a difference there, mainly with the reduction and the cost of expenses to basically um, use energy consumption to validate a network. Um, But we have seen Ethereum 2.0 successful thus far in that transition into a proof of stake. And we see um, as of right now, because the EIP 1559, around 70% of transaction fees are actually burned and the rest of the transaction fees are given to the stakers. Um, and this was implemented around August 5th or on August 5th of this year in 2021. And um, before the EIP 1559, users uh, had to bid had to bid how much they're willing to pay to have their transaction picked up by a miner and that could be extremely costly um, we already have talked about ethereum being a very high transaction fee network compared to a lot of the different networks that we'll talk about later in the video and they are working on this um, we'll talk about like things like bnb or solana having super low fees and i think ethereum will get there once the completion of the eth 2.0 is um, launched fully but as of right now we still see a significant amount of transaction fees for um, ethereum um, for things like decentralized exchanges and whatnot and even kind of uh, not really getting into nfts but if you're in the nft space you definitely know that ethereum has a lot of high fees so to get a little bit deeper into ethereum's actual tokenomics um, it doesn't actually have a maximum supply similar to bitcoin like bitcoin only has 21 million available whereas ethereum doesn't really have a maximum supply um, there is 18 million eth that can be created annually so there's no deflationary event before the EIP 1559, but post EIP 1559, we do see deflationary pressure coming in because they are burning 70% of the coins um, for the transaction fees there. 
Um, and then, like we did talk about, uh, 32 ETH to host a node, which is around $100,000 USD. And um, talking a little bit more about uh, transaction fees, they are much, much higher. The most I think I paid was like $400 in transaction fees, which is absolutely obscene. But when the peak around like the early April time of 2021 came around, it was um, like in the hundreds, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars And that's why so many people are switching to networks like Binance Coin with the BSC or Solana. And um, to talk about transaction fees, or sorry, transactions per second, I'll uh, give it over on to Nathan. And so despite Ethereum's widespread usage and adoption in spaces like decentralized finance, decentralized exchanges, and NFTs, it can only handle around 30 transactions per second. Obviously, this is prospective to grow with the full launch out of ETH 2.0, uh, but its ownership structure is completely decentralized in that anyone can mine, anyone can host a node, and it's a permissionless network where realistically, if you have the intent and you have the hardware as well as the technical knowledge, anyone can contribute or build on the Ethereum network. In that instance, it's very pliable. And this was really the first crypto to become programmable with smart contracts and adopt that kind of technology. And so in that instance, I think Ethereum is really recognized as the number one proof of stake mechanism because they did it first and successful to such a degree. And so in line with that are decentralized applications. These are really the programs that run on top of the Ethereum network. And just to name uh, a few big ones in descending order of total volume locked, we have Aave, then Compound, SushiSwap, and then Uniswap. So a uh, very important metric in this space is the total volume locked. We're going to refer to that quite a bit. And that basically means the amount of liquidity that is dedicated to a decentralized exchange. And so in this instance, Uniswap is $4.6 billion, the lowest of the four that I just mentioned. And that is a metric to assess basically its relative performance and how much the public is trusting it with their money, or potentially how much return the public can get with their money. Just because something has a high t total volume lock doesn't always mean it's the most honest project. People get attracted to the very high APIs, APYs on decentralized apps. And so just to summarize kind of our thoughts on Ethereum, right now it has notoriously high gas fees when we're transacting with smart contracts, Uniswap or other decentralized applications like OpenSea. I remember when I verified a, a different account that I had, it was $275. I was like, oh, I guess this is just the cost of doing business. And for that instance, the Ethereum network is starting to, I think, in my opinion, shut out some lower capital users. And it's really not that accessible from everyone when they have to pay $100 for a Uniswap transaction to buy and another 100 to sell it, whatever fees may be. And so in that instance, it's, uh, it's introducing a bottleneck. It's a, becoming a pay-to-play system. Uh, but however, that being said, it is still pretty cheap to send ETH, I would say comparable to BTC transactions right now. Another component is the staking. You need 32 ETH to host a validator node. That's a pretty high capital requirement. I mean, right now, just like Keith said, it was it's well over 100K to do that. That's a very high capital requirement and kind of promotes centralization among people who have capital rather than a truly decentralized network where anyone can contribute. That being said, the price of ETH, I think, is factored in the speculation about what it could be. What happens after E1559 or E15959 uh, <laughs> or uh, what it could be in the future and the overall trajectory. 
once it becomes a truly deflationary proof-of-stake coin. That being said, it is our belief that ETH 2.0 will not be launched in 2021, will not be launched in time for this bull run, and will be launched prospectively during a bear market. And I think that's going to be one interesting component is that this market update or this software update is probably going to happen during a bear market, which means that fundamentals like this kind of just get swept under the rug because supply demand, another cycle is starting. And so it'll be interesting to see how Ethereum performs as these changes happen. During... Mm -hmm, definitely. Well said. I think it'll kind of be similar to what we saw back in the BTC halving. Um, the day of, everyone's like, oh my God, it's the BTC halving. We're so excited. And nothing really happened. I think Bitcoin was like down like two or 3% that day. It was like really not much. Um, and later on is when you really start to see the shrinking of the supply. And if the demand is going to be consistent or even increase, and obviously that's going to be a massive supply shock, increasing the price significantly because if the demand's relatively staying the same and the supply shrinks, just makes sense that the price is going to increase um, for BTC. So I think something similar will be like that for Ethereum. Um, like Nathan said, uh, we do definitely think that ETH 2.0 will not launch in this bull run. So that's definitely going to be something to look out for once the full launch um, has been made. Um, I don't think there's going to be a ton of interest in the crypto market if it's a bear market. So that could be a really good time to start dollar cost averaging because um, that's a monumental moment for Ethereum is when you do see the transaction fees drop significantly. I think a lot of capital will flow back into Ethereum. Um, and I think that's a really good segue into the next key network. And this is the Binance coin or the BSC network, the Binance smart chain. And uh, it, it kind of could be confusing if you're not really aware of it. But Binance is the exchange um, that people use. It's the largest exchange in the world. And they have their own network called the Binance Smart Chain Network, um, which originated just from BNB, actually, because BNB, uh, its native token for Binance, was actually started as an ERC-20 token, which is an Ethereum-based utility token. And that started in 2017, um, which is quite new if you think about just how large Binance is. Um, to start something in 2017 and have it grow to the market cap it is right now, um, Binance is around 67 billion market cap, so pretty unbelievable. And then to talk about Binance Smart Chain, which is really the network that people are using to facilitate um, really NFTs, uh, DeFi in a way that's a lot more efficient in terms of fees um, is Binance Smart Chain, which launched in 2020, which is unbelievable. Um, it runs parallel with Binance Chain, but allows for smart contract fun uh, functionality. Like what Nathan said, it's basically programmable money, really. Um, the only negative thing with the Binance Smart Chain is, in my view, it is pretty centralized. Um, in total, there is 21 validators which processes transactions um, on the chain. And in order to become a validator, you need to lock up BNB tokens. Um, and validators are also elected every 24 hours by delegators. So you only have 21 validators within a network securing the entire network. Um, most of the validators probably going to have some sort of facilitate uh, um, some sort of relationship with Binance. So that's the only negative that I see with Binance coin, but you could also flip that on its head thinking that it's actually a positive thing um, with the centralization that Binance have. They have good accountability because you can actually 
look at an entity and say, hey, what's wrong with this? Is it something wrong? Um, compared to a complete decentralized network where there's a lot less accountability, you can't really um, point the finger, so to speak, and kind of try to resolve the situation um, because it's completely decentralized. So positives and negatives for having a more centralized system for BNB. I view it a little bit more of a negative, but you can view it as a positive as well. Um, talking a little bit more about the tokenomics for BNB, um, there was an initial total supply of around 200 million coins, but due to regular coin burning events that Binance has um, gone through, the supply is gradually decreasing. So it is a deflationary token similar to Bitcoin. Um, Obviously, um, it's not going to be exactly the same. 200 million is a lot more than two, uh, 21 million, but you do see that deflationary environment take place within BNB, which for an investor's perspective is a positive thing because they're not going to make more. More or less, they're going to be burning more, not making more. So the supply is going to relatively stay the same or shrink. Um, so really good tokenomics from the float or outstanding number of coins or the total number of coins. Really good on that part. And then um, what we saw with something like Ethereum, where you had to have over basically 100K invested to start to stake and become a validator within the Ethereum network, you see BNB in the Binance Smart Chain only requiring one BNB, which is like three, dollars $400 now, $415 um, per uh, uh, node. So that's an extremely low cost uh, to enter. It's a very low barrier to entry. And I think that's what a lot of the theme is for the Binance Smart Chain is it's just a lower um, point of entry for in terms of capital for people who don't have much money to play with uh, compared to Ethereum, which is, in my opinion, a very, very important aspect that the market needed because who's willing to pay, um, let's say, $80, $50 in transactions fees if they're only trading $50, $20. So the Binance Smart Chain allows for like $1, half a cent transaction fees, which is allowing a lot more investors that don't have a lot of capital to enter like the DeFi space or the NFT space, which is opening up a lot of avenues for uh, other investors. And um, to talk a little bit more about like the fees and transactions per second and everything like that, I'll hand it over on to Nathan. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on the simple fact with this BNB burning, it happens on a quarterly basis. And uh, with the most recent one that happened in uh, October, it looks like. Uh, no, sorry, that's not right. The fourth month. January, no, April. The most recent one that happened in April brought the official BNB burn down to 169 million tokens available meaning they've already burnt 31 million BNB and removed it from circulation, which is a really impressive number, which adds quite the deflationary component to this asset. But when we are talking about its capabilities, allegedly can handle around 60 transactions per second when it is functioning on a proof of stake network. And when we are talking about the ownership structure, you can't really separate Binance Smart Chain from Binance, right? There is that centralized corporate identity that at some level has its own mission and so obviously finance is the number one crypto exchange in the world for a reason but that is part of the reason why people don't like finance chains because it go again it goes against the central idea of what crypto should be mm -hmm. and basically it uses what's called a proof of stake authority consensus mechanism it's a hybrid between proof of stake and proof of authority which makes it a little bit more lightweight than Ethereum, when we are talking about its fee structure and how who contributes what and gets paid what. Uh, but in theory, it does operate on the exact same virtual machine as Ethereum. It just has a different uh, 
different ecosystem structure and how its network functions. And when we are talking decentralized applications, it's impossible to forget about one of our favorites, PancakeSwap. It has $5 billion total volume locked. Venus is another another big name in the space, $3.4 billion, and Alpaca Finance, $1.3 billion. Binance Smart Chain was really the source of the most recent meme coin run because suddenly it empowered any individual to bring their Ethereum project over onto the Binance Smart Chain or copy and paste a new hyperdeflationary one and it not cost them basically anything because of gas fees. It made it a very consumer-centric idea to produce shit coins and all you had to do was market it. As we saw with SafeMoon, Tits, Ass, Elongate, Come Rocket, literally endless because these projects had such a low overhead cost of production. And that being said, it is very consumer friendly because it is cheap to use uh, in terms of network fees. It is easy to access through trust wallet. That creates a lower barrier to entry. And ultimately, I think the Binance Smart Chain is responsible for a lot of people getting into crypto. I mean, even people I know in my personal life that I didn't think were into crypto were posting pancake swap screenshots. And I was like, yo, you motherfucker. I had no idea this person was in crypto. And lo and behold, they got into crypto because of shit coins. And now introduced because of shit coins, but here to stay. And so in that aspect, I think Binance Smart Chain did bring a lot of people into space, into the space, and really the value of BNB reflects that. It's got overall to summarize low fees for on-chain activities and is very consumer friendly. We are very bullish on the Binance Smart Chain. Yes, it is a corporate product, but ultimately the value it provides is insane relative to its competitors. Okay, I definitely agree. PancakeSwap, if you don't know about the auto staking, definitely check it out. We talk about it a lot in our Discord, but um, it's one of the most lucrative passive income streams that I found in the DeFi space for a legit project that has a large market cap and has a lot of backing. Um, you can find like these small little um, uh, tokens that have like really significant APYs for staking or like liquidity pools, but um, I think the pancake swap auto staking mechanism is around 80 to 85% right now. So um, if you don't know about that, definitely check that out. We have been uh, yelling from the rooftops about that particular uh, uh, staking or liquidity pool. Um, I think it's called a SERP pool exactly, but uh, definitely check that out. The auto staking pool um, in pancake swap. And that's a really good way to transition into the next network and this is going to be one that has been kind of the talk of the town recently um, it kind of not came out of nowhere but a lot of people were on either the ethereum train or the cardano train and solana sol is the ticker symbol came kind of out of nowhere it's been in the mid-20s around the, like low 30s to mid 20s during the dip when bitcoin went from 60k to 30k a lot of altcoins really tumbled and solana was holding higher lows when the rest of the altcoin market was making lower lows so it was showing relative strength we indicated that within our discord during that uh, may april ish duration and since then since around the mid 20 dollar range solana is currently now at 157 so just absolutely skyrocketed and we see a lot more interest and overall attraction for solana and the reason is kind of similar to the binance smart chain solana is really based on speed and basically trying to get as many blocks uh, within a certain amount of time frame as they can and they currently have around 400 millisecond block times which is unbelievable um 
and they've actually structured it so when the hardware improves and the hardware is able to increase its speed, so does the Solana network. So you do have the scalability functionality built into the core of Solana that will allow it to increase its transaction speed, increase its number of blocks per second, while the hardware is actually able to um, improve as well. So a lot of interesting th things coming from Solana. They're getting their NFT space, um, more and more um, capital coming in from the Ethereum space. Um, mainly, I think it's because of the fees, because Open, OpenSea is crazy in terms of fees. Um, but that is definitely something that uh, is piquing my interest. And talking a little bit more about transaction fees here. Solana, we talked about, you know, like the 60, tra 60 uh, transactions per second for, let's say, the Binance Smart Chain. Ethereum, if we just go back a little bit, was at like 30 transactions per second. Solana, at its peak capacity, is around 65,000 transactions per second. And as computers get faster, Solana will as well. So just comparing the numbers, it's crazy how fast and efficient and light Solana is as a network compared to even the Binance Smart Chain and especially Ethereum. And that's why we see a lot of individuals get so interested and invest so much capital in Solana. Yeah, it's definitely a front-running technology when we are talking about its merits as a proof-of-stake protocol. I mean, the inflation is pretty reasonable. It's got an annual initial inflation rate of 8% with a long-term target of 1.5. There's almost 300 million sol in circulation, and there's actually no minimums to host a validator node as Solana. It's not capital intensive, it is hardware expensive. And so when we're talking about hardware, it's kind of similar to what Bitcoin requires in terms of proof of, proof of stake, but instead of having GPUs, it needs CPU and memory. So for example, you need a 12 core CPU minimum, you need at least 128 gigabytes of RAM, which is a stupid amount of RAM. And for disk space, it basically wants two terabytes. <laughs> and so even just on the RAM alone, that is a very expensive setup uh, in order to host a node on the network. And so when we're talking about for example, Binance Smart Chain, all you have to do is press a couple of buttons on the Trust Wallet and you and you start staking. This, you have to spend an arm and a leg on RAM in order to contribute to the network. It's just a different setup. But in that note, it creates a pseudo-centralization where it's people that are really passionate about the project and the, the people that are technical, technically inclined and able to get that much RAM. Because that's the other thing. It's also kind of challenging to get 100 it does have very low fees overall and does boast at almost 60,000 transactions per second. Uh, it does have a decentralized stru structure in terms that anyone could host a node, but again, pretty hardware intensive. Uh, but again, as computers get better, the Solana network does get better. It is secure and scalable. This is because it uses that combination of proof of stake and proof of history and basically higher input, higher output. Simple as that, better technology gets, better Solana will perform. And so there is a growing decentralized application ecosystem within Solana. Sabre is one of the biggest at 3.9 billion. Anchor has 3 billion. Radium is a decentralized exchange that is really popular. And Serum is another one that is up and coming. This is $641 million total volume lock. Not in the bees like the other one, but I think it's a bit of a sleeper. 
Mm-hmm. And so when we are talking about consumer usability, newer blockchains are not all fully developed. Um, these are still a novel concept that's being fleshed out. And so um, as volume locked will go up in the Solana network, I think programmers will look to the space more and more. It's a momentum-based thing. Solana has had a big popular push recently, bringing it basically from like the 50 to 100 spot in the market cap to cracking the top eight very big and i think with that a lot of programming attention will come to the network and take advantage of those technological benefits so kind of the decentralized application space on the solana ecosystem does really potentially have a very large upside as both capital interest and programmer interest floods in yeah definitely and just to touch a little bit on um, serum which is a decentralized app on the solana network Uh, It actually has the first ever order book matching system, which looks very similar to centralized exchanges. Um, Pick your favorite, whatever you choose. They all have an order book. They all have a transaction history. They all have a position history. And Serum's the only decentralized uh, application or dApp that I've been or we've been able to find that resembles a centralized exchange, which I think a lot of people are interested in because basically every single uh, DeFi exchange, decentralized uh, finance exchange, has like a very similar structure to what Uni, um, the one on Ethereum, started with, um, where it's just basically what are you selling, what are you buying, and swap it. And Serum introduces order books and position, um, not calculation, but position um, tables, so you know what you're in, you know the percentage that you're either up or down, you know the transactions that you've already taken place, you know what bids are in the market, you know what asks are in the market, so it's providing a lot more data for traders and investors using Serum compared to if they were on Radium or Anchor or Saber, so definitely something to keep an eye on, and it also has, um, like Nathan said, has a very low total value lock, so a lot of room for growth there. And um, talking a little bit about growth, we'll move on to our next network. Uh, This is one that has a huge community behind it, kind of resembles the XRP army type of vibe. And if you don't know what it is already, it is Cardano, a ticker symbol ADA. Uh, has a market cap around of $76 billion, and it was founded back in 2017. So not too long ago, the market cap was absolutely zero, similar to what we saw in Binance. Massive explosion in terms of the market cap, in terms of the volume coming in, in terms of the capital uh, investing into Cardano. And the main idea of Cardano is the token was designed to ensure that owners can participate in the operation of the network. And because of that, those who hold the crypto ADA or Cardano have actually the right to vote on any proposed changes to the software. So it's a very inclusive, decentralized system that allows individuals to have a say in the network that they're investing in, which is a really cool idea, I thought. Um, Charles Hoskinson is a very vocal uh, individual and a thought leader in the crypto space, kind of has some negative things to talk about um, for other altcoins and, and other networks, but um, he does share a lot of information on Twitter, on YouTube, so it kind of makes sense that there's a large following there because he does post a lot and he's very active on social media. Um, recently, also with Cardano, uh, they actually recently implemented smart contracts. Finally, it was a little bit of a, a, a joke in our Discord and just kind of around um, that Cardano has a massive market cap, but they don't really have a functional 
coin like you could transact with it that's great now but there's no smart contracts you can't build anything on top of it um so it was a joke for quite a while but now they have came out with the um alonzo hard fork which happened on september 12th just two days ago and now we've already seen like i saw one nft uh, marketplace on cardano i think it will take time because they literally just uh, launched with their Alonzo hard fork, but we are going to see more decentralized applications built on the Cardano network, uh, not just because of like the low fees or anything like that, but with such, with such a large community, it just makes sense that there's going to be more developers within the community, just with the law of numbers, and they'll probably have an inkling to build on Cardano compared to a competitor's network just because they already have either a a lot invested or they're just a fan of what they're doing being able to be very inclusive a lot of pros there so um, definitely something to look forward to in the near future is seeing all the different decentralized applications that are coming out on the Cardano network and to talk a little bit more about tokenomics now um, for the maximum supply of Cardano there's actually only or I can't say only but there is 45 billion ADA um, in total and there's currently around 32 billion ADA in circulation right now uh, does sound like a lot but uh, obviously with Cardano being at like two dollars or whatever um, it's gonna appreciate a similar amount in terms of market cap um, yeah you could say I'm able to buy more with Cardano compared to Solana which is like $150 but you got to look at how much growth is the market cap still going to have and that's really what you're looking for as an investor in cardano definitely still has a lot to grow with around 76 billion in market cap and talk a little bit more about tokenomics here to continue on uh, in terms of hosting a node we can finally officially host a node on cardano um, not a whole lot to start we already talked about cardano being a pretty cheap token compared to um, things like ethereum or solana in terms of like the single one coin but in order to host a node we actually only need five ADA or five Cardano tokens in order to start staking Cardano. So a very, very low barrier to entry compared to things like Ethereum with basically over a hundred grand needed to stake or Solana with the um, high cost of the hardware. You see Cardano is a really good fit for individuals looking to slowly enter the market with a very low capital barrier to entry. And uh, for the fees and transaction uh, transactions per second, I'll hand it over on to Nathan. Yeah, just to elaborate on the fees, it is notoriously very affordable for fees. In fact, I think for for the most part, the sole reason it was used from 2017 to 2020 was for like people exchanging between exchanges to avoid like gas fees or BTC fees. It handles 1,000 transactions per second very quick, and it costed very little. So at least personally, I would use Cardano and Stellar as kind of the two to move between exchanges when I needed to move money quick and for cheap. Uh, but now with that Alonzo hard fork, we are seeing an integration of smart contracts, which kind of is the next chapter in the Cardano legacy. It is fully decentralized. It is secure. And uh, I really like only 588 to start staking. That's a true decentralized structure and doesn't have any of the barriers that we've seen before. It is a fully proof of stake, uh, proof of stake protocol. But again, with this initial launch of the smart contract capability, we haven't seen a very well fleshed out proof of stake, or sorry, decentralized applications, just some NFT marketplaces. Um, and I think given for the most part its history, it's just like a transactional coin, point A, point B, move between exchanges, but it really turned into another beast with the launch of smart contracts. Personally, I think Cardano has priced in its potential as a smart contract beast. 
with its placement relative on coin market cap. And when we're seeing BTC number one, ETH number two, and Cardano number three, I think in that instance, Cardano has already priced it in. I don't think it's going to overtake Ethereum personally. Uh, and when we are talking about a kind of a trajectory of the bull market, I think the rest of the market is going to need to make a move in order to, for Cardano to break its all-time high. Like in some sense, I think it's kind of found its ceiling. The market's already priced in the hype, uh, and we have to see a push to the upside from the entire market in order for it to go into price discovery and kind of find new highs. Mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it'll take a little bit of time, but... A lot of community behind it, but um, it would be good maybe on the next podcast to talk a little bit about positive correlations. I don't really want to get into that, but we do see overall looking at all the different altcoins, a positive correlation of like 0 0.3, 0 0.4, 0 0.5, which is like 30, 40, 50%. So we do see positive correlation. You see some coins like, for example, Solana or QNT or even like Cardano at some points explode while the rest of the market is flat. Um, but I definitely agree, especially because the hype is all over um, with the whole buy the rumor, sell the news with the Alonzo hard fork. Um, the news is already out and we've already seen that dip. So I think at this point, there's nothing really coming down the pipeline that would really intrigue investors to start looking at Cardano other than what's already occurred with the Alonzo hard fork. So um, logically, it just makes sense that it won't be seeing a tremendous amount of buy pressure coming in randomly while the rest of the market's just kind of chilling consolidating contracting before the next leg up so um definitely i agree with that one really good project overall in terms of potential with the smart contracts implemented recently um but definitely something to um be patient for d, uh, d apps take a while for them to actually um turn out to be a very useful efficient um, good UX, good UI. So definitely, um, I think even Charles Hawkinson said it, um, patience is important, especially when they just came out with it. Everyone's going to be wanting to hop on the first major DeFi platform on Cardano. And I think it will be big. It's just, it will take time. So not necessarily a bad thing there. There's a lot of other opportunities in the space like we talked about already. Um, so kind of moving on to the next major network. Um, this is Polkadot or DOT uh, for the ticker. It has a slightly less of a market cap, around 34 billion. Uh, it did actually pop up quite aggressively. To me, it's kind of like the Chainlink version 2.0 to some degree um, where they're able to incorporate a lot of interoperability within their platforms. So uh, blockchains can talk to each other. So that's really fantastic. And um, in terms of the actual max supply to get jumping right into the tokenomics of Polkadot, um, Polkadot Network does not have a cap on its dot crypto supply, which is not too surprising. We see Ethereum not really have a cap, Solana not really have a cap, and it does and it does not have a fixed inflation rate, um, which is a little bit surprising because let's say Solana has an extremely fixed inflation rate, long-term inflation has around 1.5%. Um, Ethereum has, I believe, like 18 million um, that they're able to um, mint in a year, but DOT does not have any sort of max supply cap or has any fixed inflation rate, kind of like the United States dollar, which is not too great. Um, but if they're responsible with it, then um, they should be able to maintain that supply there. So um, in short, DOT is inflationary, um, but the inflation varies around 6 to 10%, and 10% is the maximum inflation for Polkadot. So they do have an inflation maximum, but they don't have a maximum for the supply. So they could just keep on hitting that 10% maximum inflation forever, and your money is going to turn into 
um, basically nothing in like five years. So not great in terms of the tokenomics compared to some of the stuff that we've seen, for example, with like Bitcoin, very deflationary, um, Ethereum with a 2.0 getting more deflationary, which is fantastic, which is what we're looking for, especially because we're like anti-fiat, fiat's very inflationary. Um, we're looking for that deflationary edge in the market that's going to shrink the supply. Polkadot doesn't have it, so it's not in my view, the most ideal, but they do have a lot of promising features that they have within their project. So to get a little bit deeper into it, in terms of the number of dot needed to host a node, it is around 80 dot. Um, and we can take a look at the next page here to see what the prices are right now, which is around $36. So 36 times 80 is going to be like, let's say three grand, 2,800. So very, very reasonable. Um, not as reasonable as, let's say, like the Cardano entry or the Binance Smart Chain BNB entry, but still, you know, three, five grand is definitely reasonable for an individual to start basically staking a certain amount and then making a little bit of passive income there. So um, still a pretty good amount um, to enter, but definitely feasible for the everyday investor. Fees also does um, come at a very low cost for Polkadot, which is fantastic. Um, not as low as Cardano, but still has very low transaction fees compared to things like Bitcoin or Ethereum. And in terms of the transactions per second, it is pretty good. It's higher than a lot of the different projects that we talked about, like Ethereum or um, Binance Smart Chain, was, which was around, I believe, 60. Um, the transactions per second for Polkadot is actually 166, which is quite significant. Um, obviously, it's nothing like Solana at like 60,000 transactions per second, but 166 is still pretty significant. Um, it's you know a lot better than Ethereum. It's a lot better than Binance Smart Chain. So it is a big step up from um, those particular networks, the Binance Smart Chain as well as Ethereum, but you can't really compare it to things like Solana, which are really just built specifically for speed and transaction speed and the number of blocks they're able to um, validate in a second. So pretty good, not amazing, but um, 166 transaction speed or transactions per second is still pretty solid. So um, to move on to kind of the ownership structure and to talk a little bit more about that, I'll pass it over on to Nathan there. So in the instance where it costs 80 DOT to stake, it does encourage a pretty decentralized atmosphere because DOT did exist for an extended period of time before it ballooned in price, where I think it allowed to have its liquidity distributed. It does handle 166 transactions per second when it's operating on the proof of stake protocol, uh, but it has not really seen that much uh, liquidity in its decentralized application space. Ren, Mantra, and Pokeswap are the big three within this space. I think one area that has seen a lot more interest is Pokestarter and launches of different startups or different startup crypto projects on that platform. Pokestarter is something that's been buzzing on crypto Twitter where people are finding quality projects very early with the decentralized autonomous, the DAO structure. And so in that instance, I think DOT still has major upside on its decentralized application front, uh, but it is seeing some usage uh, in the startup. And so overall, one thing to keep in mind with Polkadot is that it is pretty underdeveloped because it, it has a different programming approach than other projects. So for example, anything that runs on Ethereum will also run on Binance Smart Chain. Cardano uses two other languages and Polkadot uses languages different from both of them. So in that instance, you kind of have to specialize when you're talking about building decentralized applications. And just like Keith was saying, uh, patience is important. 
And in this instance, I think Polkadot is definitely one to keep our eye on prospectively. Uh, specifically, when we see events like Aave or Curve or any of these big DeFi, DeFi gladiators, they offer capital-based grants for programmers that want to build decentralized applications. So for example, with the next token we talk about, Aave infused $180 million into their ecosystem, and that brought the token price from $14 to $50. And that's a really big incentive for people to get these grants, fund uh, basically the initial liquidity for the project, and kickstart the interest in these specific ecosystems. And so just to branch into the next one we're going to talk about is Avalanche. X is the ticker, and it's just shy of $11 billion in market cap. Uh, and so this was the one I was talking about. Aave gave them $180 million to kickstart their DeFi ecosystem because it is a platform coin uh, and really this was a, a massive component of its recent success and it's it's climbed towards the top 50 crypto is that it really got a capital infusion this increased programmer interest this increased capital interest and overall had a very positive effect on the avalanche ecosystem yeah definitely something that i haven't looked too far into um this is the one project and network that I haven't really dug my toes in, haven't done my due diligence or anything, so I can't really speak either positively or negatively to it, but uh, kind of the proof's in the pudding in terms of the capital injection. Like Nathan said, Aave is a well, uh, well-known well DeFi platform. I believe it has the most total value locked out of any DeFi platform. Um, I potentially think it is, um, but still, yeah, the fact that they're injecting that much money and that much capital into it is a really positive sign. Um, we see in terms of the tokenomics and the functionality and usability of Avalanche, um, it is pretty easy to enter in terms of the friction. It's 2000 AVAX to host a node. I don't exactly know what the cost is. Let's take a look up. Um, okay, that is a little bit more. It's around $50 right now. So um, let's do a quick uh, so that's like quite a bit of money. Never mind. Um, that's a significant amount to actually host a uh, node on the AVAX uh, network. So definitely not super easy to create a decentralized network if it's that difficult to um, actually enter the market to host a node for the AVAX network. So not the best on that front compared to things like, for example, uh, Binance Smart Chain or Cardano or even looking at Polkadot was like 3K or something. So that's pretty reasonable. Um, talking a little bit more about fees, it does have very low transaction fees with a final, final transaction um, time of less than two seconds, which is fantastic. With sometimes Bitcoin, it could take minutes. With Ethereum, it could take minutes. So um, definitely good to see in terms of the speed there and the transactions per second, a whopping 4,500 transactions per second, which is very significant um, compared to a lot of the coins that we talked about 166 for polka dot we see a thousand for cardano um let's look a little bit more we can look at the transaction fees for solana which is like sixty thousand, which is the only one that's higher um and like 60 for the binance smart chain so we do see the avalanches transactions per second is significant a lot more than cardano and cardano is pretty well known to have high transactions per second so really the only competitor that is beating avalanche is going to be solana but that 
is literally based on speed. So it kind of makes sense there. And in terms of the ownership structure, it is very decentralized because the hardware requirements are low, um, unlike Solana where the requirements are very high, but the capital requirements are quite a bit. So it's kind of the flip side of Solana. Solana, there are no requirements for the capital aspect of it, but for the hardware, it is very costly. Um, and it's the total opposite for Avalanche. Uh, very low barrier to entry for hardware, but the capital requirements is quite substantial. And for the consensus mechanism, it is just using a proof of stake. No, um, no real change compared to the other ones that we've talked about. And um, I don't really know too much about the dApps. I haven't looked into them, but the common or the most volume that um, some dApps are seeing are from Trader Joe, which is kind of an interesting dApp name. Um, Pangolian and StormSwap are the three dApps that are currently being built on Avalanche. And um, just to kind of round off, um, Avalanche is project and network. It is a newer platform um, that has benefited from that investment or the incubation investment from Aave, which is fantastic because they are seeing that momentum continue. And this kind of momentum was very similar to the Binance Smart Chain, where they also got an incubation investment grant, and that's how they started their momentum. So um, we are seeing similar similar journeys in terms of the initial momentum to kick off both the Binance Smart Chain and Avalanche. So it will be very interesting to see how this um, platform goes off. So like I said, don't know too much about it, but um, definitely wanting to learn more about Avalanche. And uh, there are a few last honorable mentions and uh, I'll pass it over on to Nathan to uh, uh, talk a little bit more about the honorable mentions. And so I think when we are talking about other other platform coins that we wanted to talk about, but we didn't think really deserved the attention relative to its competitors. Tezos comes to mind. Tezos has a lot of potential, but it's not really something that you see a lot of decentralized applications on. Although that being said, they have been a focal point for NFTs recently, and there has been quite a large volume of NFTs on the Tezos network. Algorand is another one that people talk about. Tron. Can't forget about the boy, Justin Sons, a wonder project. <laughs> Another one is Cosmos, also known as Adam. These are what we call honorable mentions just because they lack that. Yes, they function as proof of stake platform coins, but they lack that true uh, architecture of decentralized applications and a means to provide further value to their network. Because obviously, like we're talking about with Cardano, transacting is only one portion of what a crypto can be. And so we're still waiting to see those uh, flourishing ecosystems out of those specific projects like we've seen with the ones we've mentioned. And so I think that is a good place to end our episode. I think we've provided a lot of insight and value on how these how proof of stake functions, our perspective on which ones are the leaders, pros and cons to each. I appreciate the time you have taken to tune into the episode. Uh, today is September 14th, 2021. Stay safe.